Hey everybody, welcome to Clark Talks, Colombian's podcast where we bring you the stories and views behind the news. I'm Damien Pizzanti. And I'm Katie Gillespie. So this week we're going to bring you a couple different topics that, as per the usual, are focused on the life and events in Clark County and the surrounding area. We're going to open up the show talking about um, a pretty interesting story that our uh, colleague Troy Brennelson did about um, a really high-tech drone company working way out in the gorge and what what having such a powerful business like that and such a knowledge intense business like that is doing for the economy in that area and how that same kind of thing is happening in other communities around the Pacific Northwest. Yeah, that's a really interesting storyline in, in rural communities in the Pacific Northwest right now. So that's mm-hmm. a good conversation that we have with Troy. Um, and then we're going to bring in Scott Hewitt, who we actually, this is his first time coming on the show. He's yeah, our features. Yeah, maiden voyage. Yeah, it's, he's our features reporter. Um, and all three of us, Damien, myself, and Scott, in separate ways have done a lot of stories about um, cycling recently and mm-hmm. biking around Clark County, bike commuting around Clark County, mm-hmm. um, etc. So yeah. he's going to come on and talk about a, a story that he did recently about an 11-mile bike ride that some interested parties took city officials on to show them mm-hmm. the highs and lows of cycling in Clark County. Yeah. So I, You guys, if you drive around Vancouver, you may have noticed there's a bigger push to make the community more cyclist and more pedestrian and friendly. And so uh, in this conversation, we're going to unpack exactly what that means and what that is starting to look like. And then we'll have Ashley uh, talk to us about what to expect this weekend. And that'll be a wrap. Yeah. All right, so we are sitting down with uh, with Troy Brennelson to talk a little bit about a story that he had on Sunday about in in situ in situ. Yeah, I don't uh, in situ is how in I've been situ? saying it. Yeah, <laughs> they say it like in situ, and it's it's been a couple of different ones. Yeah, so um, if you guys haven't read this story yet. And I mean, I get it if you haven't. There's a lot of good things to do on a weekend that it was as nice as last weekend was. But go back and check this out because it's a very, very interesting concept that this is, I, Troy, I thought this was like a perfect example of a story that shows like there is something, there is a trend happening here that is reflective of a much larger trend happening in uh, across the region. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Um, there is a whole lot of, especially in Vancouver and Portland, a lot of tech companies that are coming to town, but you don't often hear about them visiting or landing in a place like the Columbia River Gorge. This is obviously not just like a software company. This is a big time defense technology company. Yeah. So for people that don't know, can you remind them uh, what in situ is and what they do? All right. Yeah. Thanks. Um, So in situ is they've been making unmanned aerial vehicles, aka drones for about uh, well, I, I, I'm actually kind of blanking on it right now, but they've been making them for a couple of years. They made news first in the 90s for basically developing these really, really advanced drones that they could fly for long distances. Long story short, they've been uh, contracting with the Department of Defense. That's their big nest egg and uh, making drones for them and having those get shipped off to war zones stuff mm-hmm, like that mm-hmm. but i mean i should probably clarify they they use them for all sorts of things like you know they can go survey crops they can monitor schools of fish there's a whole lot of applications for these yeah absolutely although we know them best from the war on terror yeah exactly <laughs> yep yeah so uh what got you onto this story well um we've actually reported on them in the past and it had just kind of come up in conversation about some of the 
different communities in the gorge that we like to report on every once in a while and our editor made a mention of you know had you heard of in situ specifically and its impact on binging and white salmon mm -hmm. and i had known them more more for their impacts in hood river not realizing that they were actually causing a bigger stir in smaller communities in binging and white salmon yeah so w what i think is really interesting and what i've heard a lot from people in the business community and people in the, just like the tech world in general are talking about that the overall connectability and connectedness of our world has made it so that um, if you want to run a great business, you don't necessarily have to be in like the heart of Washington D.C. or in like the middle of a major city. In fact, you—it's—it's uh, it's a huge benefit for you to attract top talent if you live somewhere that has like really great amenities. And if you're the type of person that likes to play outside, I mean, there are few places as good as the Gorge. Yeah, so. I think it is. It speaks to a generational shift, which I think is might be what you were getting at. Um, you know, there's you're, you're seeing nowadays record attendance in the national parks. I think there's a lot about younger generations that really want and don't feel like they have to be bound to cities anymore to still find these high-end jobs and a company like in situ is a perfect example of that because they're super high tech but their employees are people that want to kayak and want to be out on the river or hiking and but aren't, don't have to be constrained to these big urban cores. You're embracing a certain quality of life for your employees when you open some open your your company somewhere like the gorge or somewhere they're totally area. they're totally catering to this play hard work hard mentality their employees work 980 shifts so they basically get three-day weekends every other week it's actually kind of interesting because there are people that don't have college degrees that work for them and make good money just piecing together drones wow you're a technician you don't have to go and be a uh, like a radar tech engineer you don't have to get an advanced math degree it helps to land those big money jobs but they're still making bank just being the people that put them together. Wow. Yeah, The uh, I think one of the, the most telling items here in your story is the increase in, in household income. So from 2010 to 2015, the median income has has increased from about 37,000 to about 48,000. But more interesting is the number, the percentage of people in the, the 100,000 to $149,000 income bracket that in 2010, it was 5.8% all the way up to 10.9 in 2015. So yeah, I think that just speaks to the big money that is going to a company like in situ. I mean, they are they get these big contracts like they just got one from the Department of Defense for 75 million. So, their employee base, they only have 1300 employees, but they're dealing with really high volumes of cash. And so you have employees who are making really decent money. Um, interestingly enough, and something that this story doesn't the story doesn't touch on is the fact that you're having you're seeing all the sorts of problems that you're seeing in downtown Portland where you've got big money employees coming in. They're raising the rents and the property values and people are getting priced. Yes. Wow. So it's it's happening there. That's a, a story for another time, but they're going through it just as bad. Yeah, I mean, we we cannot ignore the fact that like housing prices out in those communities has gone up like crazy as well. I mean, it was already high, mm -hmm. but I, you know, they are not immune to these same issues that are going on. And in fact, maybe more so because what we were just talking about, they're a community that people are discovering more and more. I think you have a story about the gorge being overloved. Yeah. Vacation rentals and vacation homes are pricing people out just as much as people moving into the community, too. So I know a couple that has, uh, they own 
uh, from there, I've never seen it, but they tell me that they've owned like a shoebox size house uh, that sits on the bluff in White Salmon uh, that they've owned for like a hundred years, and they've had the same guy renting it for a couple decades, who's paid like seven hundred bucks a month in rent, and they were like, "Well, he's moving out, so let's let's maybe raise up the rent to like eight hundred bucks for the next the next clientele that comes in." And their realtor was like, "Are you kidding me? Charge eighteen hundred a month." Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I bet. So, and this is for a tiny place. And they were, like, shocked that this was even, like, a real possibility. Because, like, they were like, this place isn't worth that much. But that's what the market dictates. It's There's a whole lot that's going on. Because you're right. It's actually supposedly... The, the, I think the property tax is cheaper inside city limits than it is out in the Klickitat County. Uh, and I think that has to play with the... Uh, there's a big park reserve out there that I'm totally spacing on right now, but mm. interesting economics going on. But mm. also playing into that is there are no apartments out there. Everybody has to have a no. house. So it's, you know, there's limited still building space and there's not a whole lot of these multifamily places that can help drive down the rents. Yeah, absolutely. So absolutely. it's, I don't know, it's a really fascinating community. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Man, I would live out there in a heartbeat if I could. <laughs> I don't know if my girlfriend would allow me to do that, but I would love to. It's funny. Yeah, you could you could be one of those people that commute. You know, I don't know if she would, but you could. I don't think she would. Man, say what you will about the military-industrial complex, but it provides a lot of jobs in the Pacific Northwest and has historically. Yeah. But anyway, I mean, even that aside, if you go back in history and you think of, like, all the, like, what, 100 million board feet of spruce that was cut out of the Pacific Northwest for tree or for uh, fighter planes in World War One, and then Boeing being Boeing and right. all of the defense contracts that they get, mm-hmm. uh, this, drone, this drone company here, I mean— that's a that is a lot of work and that's just that is three out of many yeah and i think boeing still i mean i'd have to do some more research into it but they definitely still have a really strong military con military contract i think that that the story is a is an interesting so opb has been doing some good reporting around this issue about um about these high-tech jobs that are open that are that are coming to these small towns um they had a story in april about uh about prineville and the data center um that is that's been built in prineville and you know that used to be a a place where most everybody was employed by les schwab and now they're and now les schwab is centered in bend so this is kind of like the main employer now is this um is this this facebook data center out there i mean did you get a sense as you were doing this kind of reporting um that that this is not the last set of stories that you're going to be doing about this in the gorge are there other companies that you get a sense that are coming out there or isn't such you going to be starting like a new trend out there or yeah i mean there's uh, a lot of companies that feed off of in situ and the drone industry, like, you know, smaller companies that just make tiny little pieces of hardware. So there's a cottage industry out there that thrives on that industry. The sort of ancillary businesses. Yeah. That... And there's also, I mean, there, the drone thing is, it has been impacting a lot, like more of a broad scale, because you're starting to see these places try to invest in making sure that they've got good airspace to be testing grounds and stuff like that so it's Mm -hmm. there's definitely a lot of stories to be written out there Mm -hmm. well i think something else that's really interesting about these like former timber towns or like factory towns is if you're the 
uh, there's a lot of room there for like a budding company or a growing company to find a lot of real estate on the cheap, so long as they're willing to find the people that are going to move there and you know make the commitment to be in a place like that. I mean, think about how much warehouse space we had devoted to sawmills and like trucking facilities and things like that that served an entire previous generation well. Now that those guys are gone, I mean, this is a for communities that want to grasp this, this is a this is a ripe time to uh, embrace like a whole new generation of industry. It's a weird uh, kind of give and pull, though, give and take, where I think you're seeing a lot of these smaller communities like Boardman was vying really hard if they haven't succeeded in landing big data centers just like Prineville. Yeah. But the argument against those is always how many people do they really employ? Yeah. I know that there are people out there like folks that work in sprinklers who make good money servicing places like that because they have to stay cool totally but they're not like factories where you've got thousands of people still no absolutely well i mean that's you know that's the problem with automation in general is that it's you know it literally takes people off the job and puts robots in there in place to do it and with the data center it's you know very much the same thing i think if i remember right there's also a big data center up in like quincy washington as well the upper part of the gorge long i-90 talk a little bit about you spoke to like some restaurant owners and folks who who own service businesses out in in binge and white salmon area talk a little bit about that and how they're responding to this influx of jobs and people out there the uh, I spoke to about three different restaurants, and they all were pretty unanimous that they had seen. Well, so there were two that had been there for a while that had said that they were their economies or their in- income was pretty variable depending on the year. We could talk about they would peak during the vacation time, um, and that would cause them to have to sort of change their hours and fluctuate a lot in the winter months. But now those companies that have been around will say that they are starting to see these employees that now live there that are making decent wages. They are there. There are enough of them now that they are able to kind of keep their support them throughout the year. There's a quote in there that says keep the lights on during those down months. And I think that's what they're seeing most of. Interesting. The one other company that I talked to was a actually a barbecue place, and they were from Lake Oswego, and they had said that they fell in love with white salmon, and they probably had the capacity to locate their put their second location elsewhere, but they chose white salmon in part for all those reasons that we've been talking about. So mm. it's like you've got a beautiful area that they want to be in, and they know that they've got customers that they can rely on. Wow. So you and I think there's probably you know lots of recreational companies out there that you can see uh thriving too but i wasn't able to track any of those folks down so did you check like old guy on the diner chair who's been coming to the same diner for the last 20 years and sitting in the same stool at the bar who told you that all this growth is horrible and or was was your experience pretty unanimous that people are excited about seeing their town grow uh, I wasn't able to find the guy that was that was too bummed out on it. I mean, I'm sure they're out there. I know that quite a few people have commented since about some of the stuff we've been talking about. Like, it's changed. It's getting expensive. But uh, I, unfortunately, for this article, wasn't able to talk to them. Um, if I remember right, right around the time you first got here, you wrote another story about a small town or a small business out in the gorge as well that builds all those all the bikes for the police departments. Oh, that's right. Yeah, and. Can you talk about those guys a little? Was it is it volcano? Yeah, volcanic bikes. Volcanic. Yeah, good memory. That's right. They uh, it's it's a little different just because they were still a small operation. They were like a 
10 person outfit or something that on that scale mm-hmm. and they were basically just busting their busting their hinds to uh, try and equip all these police forces throughout the country with these really heavy duty bicycles you know durable can take a lot of punishment sure but those guys like they would get a contract for 100 bikes or something from the from the dc police and then they would have to spend three months just cranking them out whereas you know they weren't relying on automation they're doing it Mm -hmm. by hand bunch of guys out in the in a shed welding really fast if i remember right they supply all the bikes for the uh, seattle police Mm -hmm. department as well yeah i'm not sure if it's all of them but it's like that's what had tipped us off was that they were supplying a ton of bikes to Seattle. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. Seattle PD. I mean, there's just another example of, um, you know, the power of our connectivity. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's nowadays you don't necessarily need to be super close. Mm-hmm. This really makes me wonder, uh, you know, I, I've heard of like sm- so many small towns, like setting up like well, even medium-sized towns and large-sized towns, all setting up like business incubators and like uh, startup space for all these companies. It makes me really wonder what creates an advantage for a community over other communities. Yeah, that is a good question. I mean, mm-hmm. it is. It, it's always you hear a lot about like livability. Yeah. Like in Vancouver, for instance, like they're always trying to find a way to separate themselves from Portland. Totally. They've got a. It's a good thing and a bad thing that they're that close to Portland because they'll get people that weren't looking at them previously, mm-hmm. but they might lose people to Portland. And it's like transportation and yeah. rents and access to brew pubs and you know, all that kind of stuff. Uh huh. Well, like the uh, the city of Vancouver right now is working on this complete streets program, basically to make like the city more bikeable, walkable, and more friendly to other modes of transportation besides cars. And a very big driver behind that um, here, as with other places. Is is sort of the things that we were talking about like we are part of a generation of people that want to be able to like walk from one brew pub to the next or walk to our job from our houses and things like that so this is uh there's a lot of competition out there for bright young minds yeah no it's it is it's one of the perks definitely of being a business reporter is is getting to write about the change in demographics and how that's kind of making businesses sort of rethink how they're handling business transportation reporter too yeah for sure all right is there anything else that we didn't ask you that we should or no uh i appreciate you guys taking such an interest in it it was a fun story to write sweet thanks man all right so now we're going to talk uh a little bit about biking around vancouver um i don't know if you guys or if you guys like to ride or if you don't but some of us in the newsroom certainly do and also we've been talking to a lot of people in the community that are trying to make vancouver a more bikeable walkable city and things like that so now katie and i and the features reporter scott hewitt are going to sit down and you know talk about that because i think I just said a minute ago, right, Scott, all three of us have done a story on biking in one form or another. Tell us about the story that you just did. Um, There is a bike and pedestrian stakeholders group that is um, uh, trying to exert some pressure on the city to continue to uh, build um, uh, better bike infrastructure and what they call complete streets um, here and there and uh, make some connections between bike paths that, that aren't connected yet and that kind of thing. And they had what they called a policymakers ride uh, just about a week ago where um, one elected official showed up and several planners and public works folks and and, and people like that and a whole bunch of uh, local uh, um, uh, 
uh, bike enthusiasts, and we all went on an 11-mile ride across town to just sort of see the good, the bad, and the ugly of, of bike infrastructure in, in, uh, in the we- on the west side of Vancouver. So, got you. I mean, yeah. it really is a patchwork out there. I biked. I bike to work sometimes, and going down Fourth Plate. I mean, there's. I, I don't even think half of that road has dedicated bike lanes, and even those bike lanes are kind of intimidating because, you know, that's a very big street with a lot of quick moving cars. And so, um, the thing that I thought was really interesting was one that these guys were willing to uh, th- these guys put this ride together but two that the city was actually willing to show up and ride with them and see first person what they were talking about mm-hmm. and there were a couple of times that that um, Patrick Sweeney the 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 city's uh, lead uh, transportation planner was 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 quick after a- after listening to some of the bike uh, enthusiasts complaints and and comments to say yes we're the city's working on that one and and uh, the city is hearing your concerns and we really do plan to move on that one and there were a couple different different uh, trouble spots where the city seems to be aware of the trouble spot and is really trying to to make some connections hmm. um, they always have trade-offs because um, one of the challenges in some of these locations is to to extend bike lanes is to remove parking on street parking and which um, given kind of the cultural the culture of Clark County in Vancouver is that's not easy that's not an that is an uphill battle exactly. to get that done yes Yes. And speaking of uphill battles, one of the main Literally. trouble spots um, that we looked at along the route was right in front of the uh, School for the Blind, Blind on McLaughlin Boulevard, where there is a st- when you're going east, there's a steep uphill. Yeah. There, there are there. There's a few parking spaces right in front of the school, and it was pointed out to me that even on a busy afternoon, nobody much is parked in those parking spaces. But meanwhile, the bikes. Are, and these are are they back in spots or are they parallel parking? No, they are. They're back in. Excuse me. Yes, they're back in along the street. Gotcha. Okay. Um. And, but you're. But if on a bike you're going up this rather steep incline, the street has what are called sharrows, which are those arrows that mean you are sharing you know bikes and and uh, uh, cars along the route but when you're climbing up a steep hill cars go much faster than bikes around do, a ob- blind obviously. corner so so the sh- it was pointed out the shadows really don't make sense in that place nobody's using the parking and there's no bike lane and so this was seen as as a main spot where um uh, a bike lane would be great. Park, uh, p- parking could come out. There are three schools right in the vicinity, Clark College, Hudson's Bay High School, and then the Blind School there. And so it seems like a, um, a, 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 a great candidate as a safe street for students, but it's a terrible spot for, for students on bikes right there. Sheros are... I mean, well intended, but in my opinion, seem like such a silly idea because they really drive they drive drivers crazy when a bike is in the middle of the lane. Because even if it's a flat road, even if it's like a downhill slope, a bike has very hard press to go nearly as fast as a car is going mm-hmm. to. Mm-hmm. And then as a cyclist being on those things, like it sucks having a car like right behind you when yes. you're trying to make your way up a road. Like I would. I would much rather have a segregated roadway any day of the week. Definitely. The story you did piggybacked a little bit on a story I did a few weeks ago when uh, that talked about the Complete Streets program that the city is making. And I think, I think a lot of people that read that sort of took it the wrong way, that 
especially people who really liked cars. I got a lot of feedback that people were acting like they're just going to they're going to bulldoze all the asphalt in town and everything is going to be green bike lanes and it's going to be like Portland but worse. It's going to be like it's going to be like it's going to be like China before they got cars. <laughs> and that's you know that's not what the city is trying to do. It's more about figuring out how to figuring out what streets are appropriate for having more sidewalks or more bike lanes or even having segregated uses among them in future developments. And um, you know the city seems like it has a really good layout for being more bike friendly. There obviously is like a lot of hills, but then there's also a lot of these really great flat thoroughfares that connect the middle, like the east, central, and western parts of town. Mm -hmm. So I, it seems like the conditions are the the landscape is here. It's just we have to make the conditions to make it a more bike friendly city. And the and it was pointed out again to me that if we went from the the ugly, you know, the bad and the ugly along McLaughlin, that that uh, the route also wanted to point out what the city's done well actually the some of the folks wanted to really thank the city for being more thoughtful than it had intended to be um, we went down MacArthur Boulevard um, which at one point the city wanted to make into a two-lane much a, a faster two-lane road and 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 push bikes into the 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 outer lane sh with sharrows sharing that that outer lane um, um, with cars, even while the speed limit, I, I forget if it was 35 or 40 or something wow. like that on, on that street. Um, uh, this was several years ago, but the, the cyclists really rebelled. And uh, what, what you've got on MacArthur now um, is exactly what cyclists are looking for. It's what they, what they like to call a complete street. It's, it's got w one travel lane for cars. Um, which seems to be just fine for the for the capacity of that Yeah, that, that seems road totally sufficient for MacArthur. for MacArthur. And then you've got what I guess is a, a slight separation zone, and then you've got the bike lane. So so it really is um, a luxurious, you know, cycling situation right there. You've got lots of room. Everybody feels very safe. It all works very well, and it's it's cyclists' best example. What they what they pointed out to me of a of a street that works really well for for cyclists. Is there street park? on um, MacArthur as well or I don't think so I okay. don't remember that I don't I don't think there is so that I mean this is really a designated travel right thriller yeah. then yeah so. yeah I was super disappointed I was out of town when when this ride happened because then I had a story that came out the Sunday following this ride about um, just kind of talking it was basically just a sounding board of what different bike commuters are, are talking about in Clark County and and I mean it sounds like this really touched on a lot of the issues that that I talked about in my story that that bike that cyclists were, were discussing that there are just not a lot of places in Clark County where there are designated bike lanes and where there are the, one of the, the biggest criticisms that I heard was that um, it's it's difficult to get east and west because even though we have these great these great roads that that pass through the city like you're describing on fourth plane you know there may not be a designated <laughs> bike lane or the bike lane that is there is not in great shape or so it sounds like there's still a lot of work to be done to make those major thoroughfares yeah. more bike friendly by the way that's really interesting i would never ride my bike on fourth plane <laughs> <laughs> 
I ride the sidewalk almost the whole route. Yeah, I yeah. mean, if it if the road is empty or like if it's a longer stretch of bike lane and I'm going, per- there's one section where I can go as about as fast as the cars are, and I feel a little more comfortable doing it there. But yeah, it's not fun. Yeah, it's not yeah. fun. So so just by the way, MacArthur, MacArthur, it was a great example as you're saying of MacArthur is 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 really good infrastructure. And by the way, uh, what something I learned on this trip is that uh, cyclists like to refer to the MacArthur, the sort of east-west MacArthur and then McGillivray connection as the Scottish route. <laughs> so that's something I never heard <laughs> before. Awesome. I love that. <laughs> um, you come along MacArthur and you're going east and it's just lovely. And then you hit the intersection with um, Leeser and St. Helens. And suddenly mm. you're in this strange uh, sort of oblong, st- you know, star shape that doesn't, it's not quite square. The, the sights, the, the, the sight distance are, are terrible. There's a lane that comes out of nowhere when you're, when you're coming down from the north. It, it, it was pointed out as possibly one of the worst intersections in Vancouver, a really strange mm. spot that, that um, is very dangerous. Oh, and it's a four-way stop. And actually there's a city public works guy who just said, you know, Nobody knows what to do in a four-way stop ever. It's just <laughs> it's, it's just human nature. It's uh-huh. <laughs> so it's a bad spot, and and the city said they are they're aware of that and looking mm-hmm. to to fix it. But well, they yeah. just they just updated their. No, I don't know if they updated it or not. I might be misspeaking on that. But I do know that, yeah, they are looking into the future very seriously about doing a variety of infrastructure improvements. And I'm really curious to see how these things are going to pan out. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and one thing that really stuck out to me is they have a whole laundry list of things that they want to get done as far as uh, like the city streets go. And their top priorities are these super like you know super expensive road projects but i mean road projects are expensive mm-hmm. um bike projects were much further down the list but those things also cost a fraction of what all that other work wants mm-hmm. to do so mm-hmm. i mean because so many of those i mean it's a it's a bucket of paint right for for a lot of those types of projects can be i think yeah, yeah it certainly can be or it's just um you know, it might take a little bit of additional paving or creating like a little bit more sidewalk, something like that, building out the shoulder of a road. But yeah, by and large, it is a lot less work. Right. Um, I'm curious from your guys' perspective, um, Scott, you've been here obviously much longer than Katie and I have. Do you think that uh, is? Do you think that the city is paying more attention to biking issues because that's just kind of like the trendy thing to do now among cities, like city governments? Or do you think that there's a growing community of riders actually uh, appearing on the streets of Vancouver? I definitely think there's a growing community of riders, and that's that's far beyond Vancouver or any particular locality. It's really it's really almost anywhere and everywhere. And and if it's very telling that uh, um, uh, I got in the next morning to, uh, to on a Saturday to a 6 a.m. phone call from a very angry someone or other out there, saying um, um, pointing out that that the city has a lot of sort of cultural education to do because this fellow was saying. Um, um, that you uh, bikes don't don't pay anything for for these infrastructure improvements, and this isn't Portland, you know, and and uh, um, so so clearly there's a there's a there's a cultural divide to be to be overcome there, but. Um, yeah. I hear that argument everywhere. Yeah. When I was living up in Seattle before this, um, that conversation, I was, people say that stuff all the time. 
I mean, and I'm, I know you guys know this as well as I do. It's like, I have a car. My car definitely pays for it. And right. at the same time, it's like, my bike has a lot less impact on the freaking road than my truck does. And I just remembered what I wanted to say was that this fellow was making the point that bikes have no legal right to be on the roads. Which and is I, entirely it, inaccurate. It is, I almost called him back, but I decided. <laughs> if you're listening to this and you think that you're wrong, <laughs> they have just as much right to be on the road I'm as re- you and your car. I'm remembering, in fact, that the city of Vancouver has a pretty impressive bike web page where yeah. it outlines um, all the legalities as well as you know where to go and what to do and all that. But but it's pre- it's pretty precise about about the rules and regs about bikes on the roads. There's also a really handy uh, bike map that mm-hmm. exists. You can find it um, at bike shops or at, at public buildings that breaks down. Here's where, um, here's which roads have a bike lane. Here's which roads have sharrows. Here's which roads don't have anything and you should probably avoid. So um, so that's really handy. Um, the other thing too, and, and I mean, I self-select a little bit because I'm a millennial with this set of values, but I think that, that as you start seeing younger people move into the city of Vancouver. I mean, we're predominantly renters, and I think there's a real desire to be living in downtown areas and in in locations where we can bike to work and where it's safe to bike to work. So, I mean, that was a huge sell for us when we moved to our place in, in Uptown is that I can I can walk or I can bike to work, and it's super easy. Um, so I, I think that there is a growing population of cyclists in Vancouver just as a function of the the increasing and changing housing market that we have here. So, I mean, I would assume that density breeds cyclists, so. And if you live downtown, you now have a new sort of co-op bike shop that you can uh, yeah. that you can yeah. go to for, for repairs or, and for shopping and that kind of thing, yeah. which... I'm which, so glad to see that open yeah. up. Yeah, town that's, really need a bike shop. That's the hub, which is on uh, Upper Main. Um, they're they're they're, I think, borrowing or leasing space from Burgerville. Burgerville's giving um, giving them the space. Okay, yeah. right, right. So, which is, I think that's that's also great. Right. right. Um, Scott, are you are you plugged into that whole uh, the destination downtown thing? I just caught wind of this last week Not or a couple especially. weeks ago. <laughs> it's um, I think this is a pretty clever idea. If you guys listening to this, if you work downtown, the city has a program. Live, right. I think live, yeah, live. But the big thing is like if you have to commute to downtown uh, for your job or whatever, the whole idea is is that they really want to encourage you to walk, take the bus, take the bike, some other form of transportation other than your own car. And that whole idea is by doing that. You're decreasing, you know, the traffic downtown, but then also like keeping parking spaces open for people who want to come down here and shop and frequent the businesses. And you can sign up and log your miles. You get a sweet swag bag full of biking goodies, and you can log your miles for each trip you do. And then you just might get lucky and win something. So <laughs> I think that that is that's. Too, I felt like that was a pretty cool, uh, pretty interesting extra incentive to try to get more people out to try to ride their bikes. You know. If you don't already have a good reason to do it yourself, that's a good, pretty good reason to try to jump in and try commuting on your bike if you haven't before. Hmm. It's so funny that I feel like that's a very um, young person. That I think I think it's that to, re- to want things to be gamified like that is. I mean, I signed up and I got free bike lights and it's awesome. So, dude, it is definitely not just a young thing. Like, yeah, it super yeah. works with our gamer, like the fact we all grew up playing video games. But I mean, there have been 
the, this whole game thing has been around forever. Like sure. credit cards with their mileage point system <laughs> and like the bonuses that you get and then like your rewards programs from Safeway. Those are sure. all games. So, but it works. It worked. It definitely worked for me. <laughs> yeah. So where do you guys like to ride your bike? If you're just on, oh. if you're just taking a little jaunt around the city, you know, you're not biking to work or whatever, where do you go to ride your bike? Well, my... My uh, admission is that I live out in Philida, not in the city. Um, um, but we are looking to move in for these very kinds of reasons, so so I don't have to drive so much. Well, I, I live in Philida, and I often go um, up to Ridgefield and the National Wildlife Refuge and back down. Or and do you ride from your home, or do you drive up there and then hop on your bike? I ride from home. Okay. Sometimes I I drive my bike across the Salmon Creek. Uh, huge dip there and park at Chinook Elementary School so I don't have to fight my way <laughs> up that one hill. Yeah, that's valid. <laughs> um, yeah, but other than that, actually, I'm up for most hills. And, and uh, so I go up to Ridgefield or I sometimes go down Lakeshore to downtown and then and then there's the whole waterfront, Frenchman's Bar or or sometimes all the way out to the east side of Vancouver. It sort of all all depends. The Burnt Bridge Creek Trail, I cannot recommend enough as a as a great way to get halfway across town and then you can then there's all ways to to, to connect with all kinds of other stuff after that. So. We're super close to what's the park right there on Leverage, this side of, Leverage Park. Mm -hmm. We're really, really close to that. Yeah. So we gotta get my, my partner's bike fixed up so we can go on a long bike ride. But yeah. that's we I mean we just started cycling again. So one of my Discoveries as I sort of got more serious about cycling in about the past five or eight or ten years or however long it's been is that um, Portland is actually somewhat jealous of our bike infrastructure up here. In, Are you in, kidding? Well, they don't have anything like the Burnt Bridge Creek Trail that I know of. Oh, they don't sure. have anything like Salmon Creek Trail is short, but it's beautiful. And, and what they do have is the Springwater Corridor. Which has its issues, you know. Mm -hmm. yeah, um, definitely, um, I've done I've done that out and back a few times, and it's hmm. it's yeah, it's, it's no, nothing like the Burnt Bridge Creek Trail. Burnt Bridge Creek is great. So, yeah. If they could improve the connections over I five with that thing yeah. and just get it to tie into downtown a little bit more, God, yeah. I would love it. Yeah, that's that's uh, true. When you asked the question of where where I ride, that was the first place I thought of. Mm -hmm. We'd love to hit like especially on like a Saturday. God, I'm really stereotyping myself right now, but uh, on a Saturday, my girlfriend and I love to ride the Burnt Bridge Creek Trail to the farmer's market. <laughs> it's great. It's totally great. How about you? Where do you ride? To work. I mean, to be fair, like I only just started, I only just got my bike fixed up, tuned up and, and back on it for like the week before I left for a week. So it's got to, I got to find my groove again. So, but working on it. So that's why I asked. Mm -hmm. So, I gotta say, it's a way funner way to commute. Yep. When I have to, like, if I have to come to work, it's some, I can, like, wake up a little bit in the mornings and then clear yes. my head on the ride home. Yes. Just that little extra space uh, to separate myself from, you know, just the routine rhythms of my life is very nice. Mm -hmm. Yeah. People don't know what they're missing. <laughs> anyway, um, thanks for coming on, Scott. Oh, thank Hope you to so talk much. To you, talk with you again soon. Yeah, thanks.
All right. So uh, Ashley is here and she's going to talk to us about what is going on this weekend. So Definitely. what have we got, Ashley? Uh, well, it, we kick it off with the, the Craft Wine and Beer Fest this weekend. That's uh, the big one this that's weekend. That's the big one this weekend. It goes Friday, Saturday, Sunday. It's, um, I mean, this is kind of, if you haven't checked out the Clark County wine and beer scene, this is like kind of a great way to get an overview of it. Now, they've added, it used to just be wine, mm-hmm. right? Okay, so they've added beer. Oh, yeah. Um, th- th- this happened a couple years ago. This is the fifth year. 150 wines to try, 50 beers, plus some bourbons, some ciders, some other distilled spirits. I want to meet the person that tries all of these in one day. <laughs> oh, dear. If you're out Don't. there, please reach out to me. No. <laughs> well, and that's what's cool, too, is the ticket price is $25, but it's good for all weekends. So you can go all three days and like be like, this is my wine day. This is my beer day. This is my <laughs> cocktail day. And then you can just have fun. And then they've got music. They've got bowling, um, which they're calling Naked Bowling because it's sponsored by Naked Winery. Oh, I was like, this is in Esther Short Park, <laughs> yes, right? It is in Esther Short Park. Um, dogs are welcome. Um, it's it's going to be fun. They'll have a Led Zeppelin tribute band called Valhalla performing. As one does. As one does. Um, including a Vancouver band called Colasso. Um, so it, it's, it's a very local feel and kind of a good spread. And they try to definitely stick to washington wines and then our local breweries and uh, a few of the smaller peeps from from the area so cool yeah um it will also be national get outdoors day on uh saturday the 10th and the the whole idea behind it is a lot of people like they want to go hiking and find trails and and they're not really aware of all the opportunities that are out there so it's kind of a way to draw together all these different organizations that offer you know ways to learn how to do archery or fish or um saw a log or find uh you, that you have like three state parks in your background or you know, your backyard and where to go and kind of give people the tools to go outside and have fun and and feel like they can explore an adventure cool. and it's it's definitely aimed at kids too to get to get them interested in and um, get them while they're young yeah and learn those activities now um is, so are there going to be parks open for free this weekend yeah or? so as part of it um they're kind of doing uh so last weekend was uh, national trails day this weekend because of national get outdoors day around the country they're basically waiving park fees so Sweet. if you wanted to go out and hike you definitely could do that you should head to pearson air museum outside there there'll be a bunch of different organizations activities um lots of good resources from 10 to 3. and i think the gift Pinchot Visitor Center is uh, in the in the Fort Vancouver campus as well. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of a one-stop shop if you need to find out what's up at the national parks or if you need to figure out the good places to go in the national forest. Man, you don't have to go too far. Exactly. And we're talking a bunch of different organizations that will be there. So um, It's going to be off the chain. Yeah, if you're into that. Um, then over on the other side of the river Saturday is the Grand Floral Parade, which we will have some Clark County reps repping Clark County. Yeah, definitely. Uh, <laughs> Andy Matarisi had a story about Battlegrounds float in mm-hmm. Wednesday's paper. So, and they put a lot of work into those floats. Oh yeah, so they're 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 the um, last community community representative. A lot of the other floats that participate are from like corporations like Alaska Air, or they're part of the Rose Festival. It's the Rosarians float. Um, so Battleground is kind of the only big community that still does a community float. There will also be the battleground marching band uh the float princesses will be on the battleground float you also see um the 
uh, Vancouver Rodeo Queen, um, the Clark County Fair Queens will be participating, Heritage Marching Band will be there. Washugal is participating with a mini float. Mini um, float. Yeah, so the, the festival the last couple of years have been doing kind of like a petite parade section where a bunch of different communities, they don't have the resources or the volunteers to do a giant float, but they'll do tiny little floats that surround golf carts and oh, cool. are adorable. Okay. Yeah, so it's definitely worth um, keeping an eye out for our local represent representatives. Um, it, the parade starts at 10 a.m. on Saturday. You can also watch it on Fox 12 if you don't want to drive over there. Um, so it'll be on the TVs, too. But it's always a festive atmosphere. Cool. Mm -hmm. uh, Sunday, it is uh, Run Like a Girl for Second Steps housing. Right. Yeah. So that's a big kind of fundraising event that you dress up in costumes. They kind of have like a little after party. It offers 5K and 10K routes. There's also a free kids run. And Second Step housing really helps um, local families kind of move into better situations um, from homelessness into housing. Cool. And so it's a good cause and it's supposedly will be a fun run. Um, it starts at 9 a.m. on Sunday at the Vancouver Amphitheater, which is down by the waterfront um i think they'll have race day registration at 7 30 a.m and it's about 35 to 45 dollars to register 5ks around here are so great because they they can do so much of it on the trail mm -hmm. that they're always really safe and mm -hmm. really quick and pretty flat i mean there's definitely some hills well but... and you always get to watch like the river and and see all the traffic oh it's and... beautiful yeah. yeah so it's good um and then there's an inch so every uh second saturday the uh Cathopodal plank house up in ridgefield does kind of a, an event of you know talking about kind of the the history and the culture of the place um along with tours of the plank house and some guided hikes um this sunday at, from noon to four they'll be kind of focusing on the colonialization of native history um so they'll have David Lewis come in and he'll speak kind of about how we have these stories that we think are from the native culture about like how um, Mount St. Helens and Mount Hood and how they got their names and how they were formed that might not necessarily be entirely accurate or true um, just because there was kind of a romanticization uh, when the pioneers came over here. So it's kind of he he'll dive into kind of picking that apart and finding out what is part of native history and what is what actually is yeah oh that sounds great yeah so that he'll talk about that at one but like i said um you can take a self-guided tour of the plank house from noon to four and they usually have some other activities going on cool and then just further out in the week thing to keep in mind um on wednesday the 14th uh the liberty theater in camas will be celebrating 90 years of being wow. a theater yeah, so to to celebrate at uh, five thirty, they'll be showing the Princess Bride. But yeah, it's a it's a three dollar film. Um, if you get early, the first hundred people will get some swag and some commemorative posters. And I mean, it, the Princess Bride is a great community shared screening because you know all the Everybody lines. Knows and, it, so. Yeah, and it turns into a really fun atmosphere. Sort I think. of the PG version of a Rocky Horror Picture Show. <laughs> so all, all I can really do is keep my fingers crossed that the weather will be okay this weekend, just because there's so many fun things to do outside and i only want to wear outside yeah and i only want to wear my rain jacket partially yeah. so so which one of these are you going to ashley uh the craft wine and beer fest sounds like a lot of fun sounds and delicious and it will be kind of the biggest um alcohol fest in esther short park until like way later in august cool anything else that we should know about for the weekend 
you know I always have more. It's true. <laughs> it's always so, in the weekend section. So check out the weekend section. Pick up your Friday. What's the illustration on the front of the weekend section this week? I don't remember. But oh, really? Yeah. Mm. I haven't seen it yet. It's, it's, it's being published later tonight. So. Got you. Well, I look forward to checking it out. Yeah. Great. All right, that's our show. Yep. So we have been discussing bringing some changes to Clark Talks. Right. Uh, so so we're going to fill you in a little bit on what that's going to look like. So mm-hmm. what we've noticed is that you guys seem to really dig the politics conversations. Yeah, um, far and away, those have our greatest listenership. And, and to be fair, that's, I think, what Davian and I most enjoy talking about. So Because yeah, we're wonks. So, absolutely. So what we're discussing doing is moving the show to every other week and having a really tight focused political show we'll still bring you ashley we'll still bring you some feature content but really do the main bar of our episode week after week with conversations driven by local politics so whether that's bringing in a local politician or Mm -hmm. having conversations with lauren Mm -hmm. or even talking the politics at the county level talking at the city level or even you we might even every now and then touch on how national politics is trickling down into our backyard and then you know damien and i and our work covering schools and and transportation we have some things that touch on politics every once in a while so so the show is really going to take sort of a turn toward that kind of a bent so if you guys have story ideas if you have issues that you want to want us to explore please hit us up and let us know absolutely but so sort of what we're hoping is you're going to hear us less often but we expect to bring you a lot more nuance um rather than necessarily bringing you like a reaction to the local political news that happened we're hoping that by uh putting about a week in between each event that will give some time to cool off and we'll be able to provide you with more context to sort of explain how the local political news fits into the bigger picture of what is going on within the community. And give you more of sort of that analysis that we can provide as as people who are generally in the know about what's going on. So Totally. So I hope you guys like that idea. Um, As always, we'd love your feedback to hear what you think of that one way or another. But yeah, we're gonna um, we're gonna start that next week, or we're gonna start that this next episode. So we're gonna take a break next week. Yeah, you won't hear from us next week. And then we're going to uh, start that the following week. So that's right. In the meantime, what uh, what what podcast should we send them to to fill their listening ears next week? Um, well, I. I've been talking to a lot of people about this. It's one of my favorites, the Slate Political Gab Fest. Slate Political Gab Fest. Oh my God, it's It's so so good. good. If you guys guys have any interest in politics, it's awesome. Um, It features a uh, New York Times Magazine features reporter who she also happens to be a a professor at Yale Law School. And then it- um, John Dickerson Dickerson. from CBS News does Face the Nation. And then the other guy, you might not know him, but he's, he's the guy that created that other awesome website atlas obscura Obscura. so anyway that's a good one uh more perfect if you have any interest in the supreme court oh that's been on my list for a long time man it's so good is it good yeah that's radio is it the radio lab folks that did that yes okay it is it's that's you know these are pretty wonky federal politics level things but i i love them um the new season of invisibilia came out so if you're looking for more uh less policy less politics listen to that one Mm. that explores emotions and feelings and Mm -hmm. the the things that basically make humans tick and it's just so good you know one of my all-time favorites i think one of my most 
long listened to podcast has been the Joe Rogan podcast. Yeah. I mean, take his comedy and his MMA culture, like MMA career for what you will. I don't really, I like his MMA stuff, but I don't really listen to his comedy, but his, the conversations that guy has with a variety of people he has on his shows are, is epic. He has That's, a pretty tremendous diversity of, uh, dude, of true renaissance. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's got everybody on there from like the lead singer of tool to, I think Neil deGrasse Tyson has been on there. He's got comedians that come on. Awesome. He's got super high level scientists and crazy nutritionists. I listened to one of his shows where they spent an hour talking about how vitamin K affects your body. And it was fascinating <laughs> so for all 250 of you that listen to us now <laughs> there's on a, a good, good week <laughs> there's some good shows that you can listen to while we're gone so yeah all right well i hope we gave you plenty to tide you over and you can reach out to us if you want to talk to us directly you know katie and i's credentials and contact information is all over the website and attached to each one of our stories or you can email us at podcast at yeah Thanks for tuning in. See you in a couple weeks. Bye.